PFF now has an app. Get access to industry-leading fantasy football advice, PFF's exclusive betting dashboards, the latest premium football analysis all in the palm of your hand. When you sign up, leave us a five-star review with your 2022 Super Bowl prediction and final score, and we'll share the best ones on the show. Will we actually share the best ones on the show? I, uh, I'm just reading the ad here, but that, uh, I guess we will. We'll share the best ones on the show. edition monday edition of talking ball i am of course mike renner no mike quinn today he's on vacation fortunately so we're going to keep it a tight show i know you guys don't want to hear me drone on and on too much about the action we saw over the weekend but boy we saw some action I, the parody over the weekend at an all-time high we'll get into that in a little bit today's show one take segment going through one take from every single team this year and, and truthfully this is going to be the last one take segment of the year because some of these teams I can't talk about anymore. We know you know who you are, and we'll get to those at some point. We're going to start getting more draft focused for the fans of those teams, but realistically, it's over for some of these NFL teams so far this season. We even had a funeral last week on uh, it's just football. If you're not watching that, go ahead. 11 a.m. every day. But one take segment, fun to watch segment, mailbag segment. Then we're getting out of here. On to Cincinnati. All right, one take. Going back to Thursday night, Commanders-Bears. Commanders win in a barn burner. Woo! 12-7. Hopefully you didn't fall asleep for that one because you missed. Actually did miss an exciting end to that game. But from both teams' perspectives, not great, right? You know, not, not good. 2-4 and four for both of these teams. Commanders win 12-7. Ron Rivera, though, his postgame rant. Anytime you go on a post-game rant after a win, like anytime you're upset after a win, so upset that you leave the podium because the question's being asked to you, that's like the telltale sign that you're on the hot seat, that you're about to be fired, I feel like. And, I mean, rightfully so, right? You scored 12 points against a fairly hapless Chicago Bears defense so far this season. They're trotting out a rookie corner who's allowed more yards than anyone else had allowed more yards than anyone else through the, in the NFL through five weeks. The lowest grade defensive line through the first five weeks of the season, and you have your quarterback go 12-22 for 99 yards. So the take here is Ron Rivera, it might be over soon. You know, their schedule coming up is not an easy slate, shall we say. You have the Packers, eh, whatever you want to think about them, they're still a 500 football team. You got the Colts in Indy, you got the Vikings, you got the Eagles. That's four games where they will be underdogs in all four. If they lose, you know, two, three, four in a row, curtains. Curtains for them. And then from the Chicago Bears side, honestly, you know, outside the play of Justin Fields, who I'd say was probably more encouraging in this game than the final stat line or the final score may indicate. And, yeah, he has no help. But if I'm the Bears, I'm, I'm going to say this about a handful of teams here. I am trying to do whatever I can to move pieces before the trade deadline. And, and I think one of the pieces that people may actually want is David Montgomery, the running back. You have Khalil Herbert there in tow. David Montgomery, obviously, in the last year of his rookie deal, you have Khalil Herbert playing excellently as the backup and as the starter when called upon. I think you try to move him. 
You try to move Robert Quinn. You try to do whatever you can because this is still a full rebuild. You're still deep in it uh, with that new regime there in place to where you can get anything back for those guys. I'm pulling the trigger on those deals. Next game, on to Sunday where 49ers, a banged-up 49ers team, lose, go down to the to Atlanta, lose 14-28. to 28. From the 49ers' perspective, you know, this is the kind of game – Like I'm not – no huge sweeping takeaways here. You were so beat up on both sides of the ball. No Nick Bosa in this one. Obviously, Emmanuel Mosley is out for the year with a torn ACL. They could be players. I said they should be players for some of the cornerbacks available on the trade market at the deadline. But this is why they drafted Trey Lance, right? This is games like this from Jimmy G where Jimmy G trying to make a comeback is painful to watch. Him trying to push the ball down the football field, you know, make those big throws to get you back in games. He's just never been able to do it. This is why you tried to improve, tried to swing for the fences for a guy like Trey Lance, and obviously two years into his NFL career, still have no clue what you're going to get from him and still obviously not going to play the season. But it was games like this where you fall behind, you're trying to scratch, claw, whatever. Jimmy G is not just, just not the guy who's going to be able to do that for you. And from the Falcons' perspective, I mean, how close is this Falcons team to being 4-2, and 5-1 and one on the season? Did anyone see this coming? Obviously, the three and three right now, but did anyone give them any chance of this preseason? One point loss to the Saints in week one, four point loss to the Rams in week two, six point loss last week to the Buccaneers that, you know, was a Grady Jarrett roughing the passer away from being, from getting the ball back with time on the clock to try to come back. If, if Brian Dable wasn't doing what he was doing, Arthur Smith should be getting Coach of the Year love. And now you don't get Coach of the Year for going 500, for going 9-8, and 8-9, eight, eight and whatever they're going to end up as, the Atlanta Falcons. But compared to expectations, I think they're outperforming as much, if not more than anyone else, besides the New York Giants around the NFL so far this season. So love watching this offense week in and week out, even if it's not, you know, doesn't fit the expo- what people think of when they think of fun offenses to watch. High-powered, deep passing game. No, it's, it's a very controlled ground attack. But it's as creative as any around the NFL. So hats off to that. Falcons team, a lot of reasons to be encouraged. Still obviously quarterback position, but Marcus Mariota, 13-14 in this game. Did, did, what, did all he was asked to do, and the Falcons come away victorious. So... Excited to see the Falcons, obviously, next week against the Bengals here in town. A big test for them. I may be tailgating that one, actually. That sounds like a good time. All right. On to the Patriots-Browns. Patriots, whew, runaway, 38-15, demolition. Bailey Zappi. Got to talk about this guy. Another just quality performance. I mean, there's no real – that was – that did not look like a rookie. It did not look like – not only just a rookie, rookie fourth-round pick. That looked like a guy who was ready to play in the NFL. And obviously, he had more dropbacks than anyone else in college football last year. That was, I don't want to say everyone thought he was NFL-ready, but he has the experience. You know, More dropbacks than anyone else last year was in a super pass-heavy offense in Houston Baptist. Like We talked about Trey Lance not getting reps in the passing game. Bailey Zappi's had the reps. So he sh- should hit the ground running from that perspective of being able to handle a lot of the things that the NFL is throwing on his plate in terms of what he's seen already at the collegiate level. But even beyond that, the timing, the accuracy, I think from a pure tools perspective, 
he's maybe a little better athlete than Mac Jones and has a little stronger arm than Mac Jones. And he's not playing too dissimilarly now through two starts than what we saw from Mac Jones as a rookie. If people can float out a quarterback controversy between Cooper Rush and Dak Prescott, we can definitely float out a quarterback controversy between Bailey Zappi and Mac Jones. Because 24-34, 309 yards, two touchdowns against this Brown secondary is impressive. I don't care how you want to slice it. And yeah, the ground game was working. They had pretty much everything they want. And this Browns defense is reeling. And we'll get to that in a second. But that was, that was NFL stuff. That was real NFL starter caliber play. And, and the biggest thing with Zappi still is how is he going to perform under pressure? 12.5% of his dropbacks back in college, he was under pressure. So far this season, really hasn't faced a lot. More in this game, obviously, than they did the first start where he was only pressured two dropbacks. 13 pressure dropbacks in this one for the season. Six of 15 for 63 yards under pressure. Kind of meh. We'll see what happens when he actually when they face a D-line that maybe overmatches this O-line, how he holds up. But through two weeks, man, job well done. I don't think there's any reason to rush back Mac Jones at this point if you're Bill Belichick. From the Browns' perspective, I kept saying – or I – preseason I thought if they could you know hold their head above water without Deshaun Watson get to around or above 500 when he returns for that Texans game that they could go on a run and maybe be still be Super Bowl contenders I don't think that's the case with this defense because this is the single most disappointing defense in the NFL and it's really not even close the far and away worst run defense by PFF grade so far this season and they have the talent not to do that. You know, that is a run defense is often a coached thing, is a disciplined sort of thing. How, how much can you not freelance? How much can you stay within your scheme and basically do what you are supposed to do? And as of right now, the Browns defense, their front seven especially, is not doing that. Um, Joe Woods, defense coordinator there, I know he's been – around for a while, had a ton of different stops, but this isn't a new thing necessarily. Like the, the run defense has been bad there for a while with him at the DC position. I, I think they've underperformed from a talent level perspective, even dating back to last year, to where if this continues on, if this starts to be a theme for this Browns team, and, and obviously six weeks in, I think you can call it a theme. I'm not sure Joe Woods is going to be there by the end of the season. And I'm not sure Grant Delpit's going to be starting by the end of the season either. Grant Delpit's safety for the Cleveland Browns. You heard whispers about it at LSU in terms of them worrying about his ability to process, you know, match zone coverage stuff, you know, being able to read routes. You know, one hell of a coverage defender when he has a, you know, just a one-on-one sort of guy's ability to do that from a safety position was why I was high on him coming out. But he busts coverages left and right is a misassignment nightmare so far this season. Uh, definitely the weak link on the back end for that team. I, I don't think the Browns team is winning at all, even with Deshaun coming back. On to Jets-Packers, where some, some, uh, some ghosts from the Packers' special teams haunting them. A block field goal, block punt, touchdown in this game for them. But hard to chalk that up for the reason why they lost. Jets win going away 27-10. Aaron Rodgers subbed out in the fourth quarter for Jordan Love when it was not close. And from the Jets, there's really not a more exciting group of rookie contract talent in the NFL right now. There's just not. And that's where you want to be from a franchise perspective. 
Obviously, Zach Wilson's still the big sort of elephant in the room. Are they, what's he going to do and did not have a good game in this one? Actually, the lowest graded quarterback on the week so far. But this past year, Sauce Gardner, favorite for rookie of the year. We're going to get to it in a little bit in the mailbag where someone asked for a redraft of 2022. I don't see how he doesn't go number one overall on a redraft if you were to do it right now. But Sauce Gardner, Brees Hall in this past year's class, Garrett Wilson, Jermaine Johnson, Elijah Vera Tucker, Zach Wilson, Elijah Moore, Michael Carter the year before, Makai Becton the year before, Quinton Williams, top sixth graded DT in the NFL right now, the year before that. All those guys on rookie contracts. And when you have talent on rookie contracts, cheap talent, it's what you know, is what the rookie wage scale does. You can sign free agents. You can go out and then sign free agents. This team still has space in the coming years. Again, hinges on Zach Wilson. How is he going to perform? But from just a talent evaluation, how much they've added, you've got to be feeling good if you're a Jets fan right now. Have to be. And then the opposite side of that, <laughs> Green Bay Packers. You can't be feeling good. This... This is a unfamiliar territory for Green Bay Packer fans. And they're kind of reaping what they sowed, right? You haven't signed a big money free agent to this offense. You've drafted one first rounder on this offense the last decade, and it was a quarterback, Jordan Love. It was your backup quarterback. And the players you have drafted with, you know, premium, top 100 picks, you don't have a single right now above average graded starter among that bunch on the offense side of the ball. Elkton Jenkins is an above average starter when healthy, but he hasn't looked great, obviously coming back from his, his uh, ACL injury. So they're very much reaping what they've sowed and wrote an article today on it at pff.com if you want to go check it out. That really breaks down deep into it, all the problems facing this offense. But 24th in points, 24th in EPA per play so far this season. It's a bad offense. It's, this is not anything that the Packers fans are used to, and they're losing their minds, as we'll see in the fun to watch segment here in a little bit. But I don't think it turns around. They just don't have the talent walking through that door. Aaron Rodgers can only do so much, and even he's, you know, he's not playing his best ball. Still a top-turn-graded quarterback in the NFL, though. I don't know what more you want from him to do. This is kind of the bed they made. On to Jags Colts. Battle for second place in the AFC South. Basically a battle for who, who's, who's not going to be out of it just yet because I don't think this game made me think that the Colts are in any position to strike or the Jags are in any position to strike as actual contenders in the AFC compared to, you know, you watch, you, watch, you just go watch the Bills-Chiefs game and what that looks like compared to what some of these other, to what this game looks like. And you'll say, I don't think they're competing. But I will say this, Colts, I think they do have something in Alec Pierce. I think he's a little bit of a DK Metcalf light on the vertical tree, what he can do. But the problem is that's not Matt Ryan, <laughs> you know? The, the throw he had, I think, was his second large, longest uh, completion in terms of air yards all season, the touchdown, the game winner to Alec Pierce. And, and that's what Pierce can do. But Ryan's arm is just not, not there to hit that consistently. Outside the number go balls, Ryan's not built for that. And even that one was a touch underthrown terms of where it ideally be placed to me the problem where you need a guy in this offense is where Paris Campbell is and he's not obviously the answer he's not a pure separator he's more just an athlete playing wide receiver not a not that guy that has the feel for the slot position in terms of 
short area separation. I mean, he's got 169 receiving yards in six games this year. So that's where the problem is. That's the offense you're going to have to run in this one. You know, 4.4 average depth of target. That's what it's going to have to look like with Matt Ryan's arm strength as it's currently constructed. But outside of Michael Pittman, they don't have a guy who's good in that area of the field at the moment. So Colts is still, they're still going to be inconsistent offensively. On to Vikings at Dolphins where Vikings win 24-16, move to a commanding 5-1 record in the NFC North. Two games up over the Packers. Obviously have the tiebreaker from that week one win. Vikings edge duo, man, they can, they can create problems for opposition. In this game, Darius Smith, 11 pressures. Daniil Hunter, 6 pressures. Obviously, some backup tackles they're going up against for the Dolphins. And that helps. But these guys can create pressure on a lot of offensive tackles around the NFL. When you have a top-five tackle duo like the Vikings have, like we said last week, and a top-five edge duo, that's a good start for any team. That will lead to a lot of wins. I don't think we should be too surprised that the Vikings are 5-1 and one, considering those guys playing at the level that they are. You know, like, maybe we didn't expect this before the season. I did say that about the edge deal, though. But considering that, this is a solid team. Like, NFC is wide open right now. If they can get some guys to take step, steps forward in the secondary and, and improve this defense, I, I think the Vikings are... I don't want to say Super Bowl contenders, but they very much can. I was just going to say make some noise. Make some noise is the worst thing. I don't want to say that. But they, they, they are probably in like tier two among NFC teams right now. And from the Dolphins' perspective, they can't fucking buy a bucket at the quarterback position, right? Skyler Thompson finally looking like he's – not saying finally looking like he looked great in preseason, but looking solid to start this game off. Then he gets hurt. Just carousel of injuries. And obviously some of that's to do with the offensive line. That is pretty brutal in front of them. But it, it's, it's unfortunate because, again, this was one of the most exciting teams in the NFL when Tua was at the helm. And now just brought to its knees without Tron Armstead, without Tua, with Skylar Thompson getting hurt, with Teddy getting hurt. It's just been a rough go. Still in on the Dolphins long term, but need Tua back. Need Tua back. ASAP. All right. Bengals, Saints. Bengals finally get much needed win. Actually moved to a tie, obviously moved to three and three. No one is above 500 right now in the AFC North. 30 to 26 in this one. Offensive line. 10 pressures on 45 pass blocking snaps. Progress. Not a complete liability. Grades weren't obviously ideal. They're, they're still, they're not, they're not shutting out anyone. This isn't the line that's going to be built for that anytime soon. But just hold your head above water. That's all Joe Burrow needs. And obviously, Jamar Chase, just a special, special after-the-catch wide receiver in the physicality that he brings to the table. That, that guy is a rock. I, I, there aren't many wide receivers in, NFL, in the NFL like at any point in time that just eat tackles the way Chase does. You know, He's in that tier with like a Debo Samuel, with going back a little Terrell Owens, guys who are just – playing the position sort of differently and just look like they're at a different level than the rest of the league with the ball in their hands with how DBs just cannot tackle them. So much need to win for the Bengals. From the Saints' perspective, I mean, they're out with their entire receiving core. And you're at your backup quarterback, Andy Dalton. Your Dalton looked look fine, honestly. I don't know what no, – no real big takeaways you can have there, but the one thing was 
the guy who took the end around, Rashid Shahid. That was that was insane. I don't think we talked. I, I didn't hear a lot of people mentioning that play. That was one of that guy was flying. I don't know who this guy was. Weber State, and I feel like the Saints, uh, they're kings. They're of finding guys from tiny schools who are unbelievably dynamic with the ball in their hands. Somehow, that's their mo. Their scouting department's very legit, as everyone knows. They're one of the best drafting teams over the past decade in the NFL. But Rashid Shahid, that end around, I mean, he ran past Chidobe Awuzie without getting touched. That was oof. That was sick. Not too much more to say for the Saints, though. Unfortunately, this season has not. Breaks have not bounced their way. On to the Ravens-Giants. Ravens obviously lose 20-24. to Giants, Kayvon Thibodeau, what a play at the end of the game. Game-winning forced fumble sack. The Ravens' perspective, they're just so Lamar Jackson dependent. I... I worry about, not worry about them. I, I don't think they can realistically compete in the AFC, in the playoffs because of that. They, they have to have him. They are, he dictates, and obviously most quarterbacks around the league are fueling whatever offense you're in, but especially the Ravens, I, I think more so than any other offense, they have to have him do everything to be successful. And that's a bad place to be in as we've kind of seen in recent weeks, when he's not played well this game, 53.6 passing grade. Previous week, 60.1 against the Bengals. Barely eke out that win. 48.4 the week prior against the Bills. Lose that game. They go so much as he goes in the running game, in the pass game, that can you, can you expect in the playoffs four straight good Lamar games? Because if you don't get four straight good Lamar games, you're not winning Super Bowl, I think, with this team which is tough, but that's why you got to put maybe a little bit more talent around him than what they do have at the moment. New York Giants perspective, another Dable just classic. He's becoming legendary at this point in time with what he's doing with this offense. But I will say this. I, I do think we're entering an era, re-entering, re-entering, entering to some degree. Running backs are starting to matter again. And you're seeing with the Giants, with their usage of Saquon Barkley, if teams are going to play so many light boxes, and it's only growing this season, is a big reason why scoring's down league-wide, is because of the proliferation of that. Light boxes, pass-first defenses, safeties outside the box, safeties out of run fits, whatever you want to call it. Running backs are going to start mattering. Having guys like Saquon Barkley that, can be damn near untouchable to bring down one-on-one space, they're going to matter. And I think you're seeing that with this Giants offense. All right, on to the Bucks steelers where one of, another just weird one in a season full of weird ones. Eight-point favorites the Bucks were. Lose outright. If you're the Bucks, obviously losing this game, you're not dead. It hasn't been great. There's not a lot of room for, you know, not a lot of encouraging signs through the start of the season. You know, not a lot of guys playing above expectation. They're like, oh, yeah, nice. Like, this guy's doing well. At least, like, we can hang our head on that. It's like, no, no one's really outperforming what you expected. It kind of everyone having a rough go of it. But this is it, right? This is 
Tom Brady's contract's over at the end of the year, and obviously, you know, will he even play? Will, will he retire again? That remains to be seen, but this is your last shot at a Super Bowl. You already won one. Cool. Maybe you can rest on that and say we can, you know, play a long-term game. But the way this roster is constructed, they knew that it was going to come to a close. Like, they, they moved a lot of chips to the table. I'm of the opinion that you keep moving more chips. The 2023 draft, there shouldn't be a pick that they should not be willing to part ways with if you're Jason Light, GM of the Bucks, They're just – you need – it needs to be this year or else it's not going to happen. I don't give a shit about going – whatever, you know, putting a team around Kyle Trask next season. I, I don't really care to go 7-10 and 10 versus maybe 3-14 and 14 or whatever it is that you're going to go without Tom Brady. I'm not trying to scratch to just get a wild card after this. I'm trying to win a goddamn Super Bowl if I'm the Bucks. So I'm going to be a player. And first domino of the trade deadline kind of fell already this morning with Robbie Anderson getting traded to the Arizona Cardinals, which we'll get to in a little bit, but – I'm in on any move, any and every move from the Bucks. especially I'm looking at edge, defensive line, someone to bring more juice to this pass rush if a Bradley Chubb's available, someone like that, and I'm looking offensive line. Those are the two places my eyes are turning if I'm the Bucks right now. From the Steelers' perspective, the, the turbo revenge storyline's kind of cool. You know, if he comes in and lights the world on fire after getting benched, that'd be, I'd be here for it. I don't think it's going to happen. Uh, I think you can objectively look at the Steelers roster and say it's not this year and they're one of the teams that we're looking forward to the draft still there's just not much to take away from this team at the moment unfortunately that's why we're ending this segment after this week and the next team is another reason why we're ending this segment after this week Panthers Rams Panthers lose 24 to 10 PJ Walker oof not ideal Panthers I, I just can't watch this team man I can't do it anymore. 23 dropbacks between Jacob Eason and P.J. Walker, 1.6-yard average depth of target. They're not even trying to play football anymore. That's a joke. That, that's, that's a joke. No more, no more Panthers takes until draft season. Robbie Anderson traded. Keep doing that. Obviously, that was a must after they kicked him off the sideline, told him to go home. You couldn't let that guy back in the locker room, sure. Maybe maybe keep going down that route because um, they are unwatchable at the moment. Rams' perspective, obviously getting a win, great, but how weird is this Cam Akers situation? Personal reasons, looking to move him. It was a guy who had a lot of fans, came back early from his Achilles, didn't look great last year, and obviously is very much falling out of favor there in the Rams' Running back room, the Rams' offense is still kind of, oof, a week-to-week with that offensive line. It's just done. And now Joseph Noteboom, despite, you know, obviously him struggling this season, I believe being out for the season now after an injury, there's, there's, no, there's no, like, guy coming through that door, unless it's Andrew Whitworth, to make me say, that's going to fix it. There we go, Rams' offensive line. We're back. Mm. Nope. Unfortunately, it's just too bad. It's untenable to play behind that offensive line and still score points on a weekly basis. It's just going to be tough. Next game here, Cardinals, Seahawks. Cardinals lose 9-19. to Cardinals, another team where I don't have any more takes, man. It's the same shit. 
same difficult to watch offense. Maybe I'll have some when D hop comes back this week, when maybe they deploy Robbie Anderson as well alongside and it looks better until then. I don't want to talk about this team, man, two and four play a lot of ugly games and just not a lot of reasons to be encouraged if you're a Cardinals fan, unfortunately. On the other flip side of the coin, though, Seahawks moved to three and three, tied with the 49ers, with the Rams, atop the NFC West. Who would have thought that? Start of the season. And Kenny Walker, my lord, making me look smart, saying that this year's running back class, top at least, was actually good. It was actually maybe as I said, as good as the year before. They're looking better already. 97 yards on 21 carries with 12 broken tackles. Oof, the fake stiff arm that he had in the touchdown run. I don't know if he meant to do that, if that was like a pre-planned thing, if he's done that before. I'm not sure I've seen someone execute it like that, the way he did a little hop and lean in as if he's going to stiff arm and then just let Byron Murphy go right by him. That was, whew, that was filthy. I mean, he had some dirty, dirty runs on the day. Kenny Walker, the real deal. Not going to miss a beat without Rashad Penny there in the fold. So Seahawks, man, good on them. I'm not going to say they're going to win the West, but they look better than the Rams right now. I'll just at least say that. They can put up points in the scoreboard. The game of the week, Bills Chiefs. Bills win with a Teron Johnson interception when everyone thought Patrick Mahomes was going to lead him down for a touchdown after the Bills obviously come down and score with just over a minute left. I think Josh Allen took the QB1 crown, though, with this one. I think, I think it was. The way he's been playing this season and the way he played in this game, six big-time throws, highest-graded quarterback of the week in a game like this. And, yeah, the Chiefs secondary, still a little banged up. Joshua Williams, rookie fourth-rounder out there, got picked on heavily. But Josh Allen was playing ball. That, that was a... That was a big boy performance. That, that, was, that was crunch time, playoff Josh Allen. And now the last three weeks, 90.6 grade in this one, 88.7 grade the week before against Pittsburgh, 86.8 against Baltimore the week prior. Dude's on a tear. That's, that's your MVP right now. It's your MVP. And from the Chiefs' perspective, I can't help but think these offensive tackles are going to be a problem come playoff time. Mahomes can obviously operate without top-notch offensive tackle play. We know that. You know, it's not necessary. And Brett Feach knows that. Andy Reid knows that. They've, that's, one of, that's what makes Patrick Mahomes Patrick Mahomes is that escapability, the creativeness. Creativity. There we go. That's what I was looking for. But you're going to face this Bills team again. You know, you're going to have to face them if you're going to want to get to a Super Bowl. More likely than not, I'll just say. Obviously, things can bounce one way or the other, but you're going to see a Von Miller again. You're going to see a top-notch pass rusher in the playoffs. You can't have them do what they did to Andrew Wiley and still expect to win games. Andrew Wiley in this one, nine pressures allowed, three sacks, 43.9 pass blocking grade on 47 pass blocking snaps. That's not going to cut it. Orlando Brown, the other side, seven pressures allowed. That's not going to cut it. That, that's going to be a problem. 
come playoff time for the Chiefs team. Dallas Cowboys, Sunday Night Football, go down to the Philadelphia Eagles, 26-17. to 17. Cooper Rush finally turns back into a pumpkin in October. Not to say that Dak Prescott hasn't had bad games. Week one, obviously, he had a bad game. But this, I hope, put to rest. The worst takes that I've had, like some of the worst modern football takes in the Cooper Rush-Dak Prescott debate that I've ever seen. They were the most disingenuous, clickbaity, knowing that they were going to rile up every Cowboys fan sort of takes that the media should be ashamed of themselves for ever pushing that as a narrative. They should be. Because that was a gross performance of Cooper Rush. And everyone, like everyone and their fucking mother knew that it was disingenuous is the worst part. And they just lied right to our faces as if they were serious. They weren't. He is not Dak Prescott. Okay. All right. Had to get that out of the way. Eagles perspective, I've been trying all season to kind of put into words what I like about this Eagles team or what makes this Eagles team, for my money, like the runaway, obviously now favorite for the one seed in the NFC East and why they are so consistent. And I think this is what, I think this is what I've landed on. You remember that Trent Dilfer viral clip? Maybe you don't. It was a while ago. It's probably over a decade ago now where he said, you can't lose games and still win in the NFL. That's how I feel about the Eagles team. They are not going to lose a game. They are not going to come in, make mistakes, make the dumb mental errors, have Jalen Hurts throw it away. They're not going to lose games. They're going to operate their game plan solidly. Now, maybe they won't go up and light up the scoreboard. Maybe they won't go and, you know, pick off as many passes as they did in this game against the Dallas Cowboys. Maybe they're not going to make a ton of plays, but they're not going to lose the game. You're going to have to come in and take it from this Eagles team. And that's very valuable. That's why they're undefeated, because that's consistent. And it comes back to, obviously, coaching, Nick Sirianni. Hats off. Dude's been fantastic there in his two years now in Philadelphia, so... Philadelphia Eagles, they aren't going to lose games. They might not win every game, but they aren't going to lose games. The NFL action is in full swing here at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. We're talking touchdowns, big plays, and even bigger wins. New customers can bet just $5 on any NFL team to win and get $200 in free bets if they do. If that's not enough, everyone can boost their winnings with DraftKings stepped-up same-game parlays. Right now, for every leg you add, you can boost your winnings up to 100% with bigger payouts than ever. Why bet on football anywhere else? Make things even sweeter. You can throw down on stepped-up same-game parlays once per game all season long. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use the promo code PFF to get $200 in free bets if your team wins when you place a $5 bet on any football game. That's code PFF only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. No House Advantage is changing the game by offering the most dynamic fantasy sports platform available today. Play in pick'em contests versus other people for a shot at winning $250,000 plus in cash. Download the app, choose a contest, 
select your player props, earn points for correct picks, and climb the leaderboard for your shot to win big money every day. You can also test your skills versus the house and 20x your entry if you hit all your picks. Bet on up to five player props, over-unders, or individual player matchups across every major sports league, including NFL, NBA, MLB, PGA, MMA, and NASCAR. Sign up now with promo code BALL at nohouseadvantage.com or download the app on the App Store to get a first deposit match up to $25. Make sure to check out No House Advantage today and experience daily fantasy sports redefined because it is not just how you play, but also where you play. You won't want to miss out on this. Talking Ball is sponsored by Western and Southern Financial Group. While you focus on your roster moves, Western and Southern helps advance your money moves. Buying your first home, planning to start a family, wondering how to make your money grow. Western and Southern's playbook of life insurance, investment, and retirement solutions helps you rest assured on game day. Team up to understand needs and address goals with a game plan built just for you. Get started at westernsouthern.com slash PFF. All right, let's get to the fun to watch segment where it's going to hit a little close to home here. And I got to do it, though. We're going, to, we're going to go through two fan bases that I saw tweeting through it. Thursday night, it was the Chicago Bears. Sunday, it was the Green Bay Packers. And it's two fan bases that not, I, I don't think these are not correlated. I, don't know, I think these are correlated. That have what we ranked as the 31st and 32nd wide receiving cores in the NFL heading into the season. Teams trying, fan bases now with very, very disappointing offenses, to say the least. tweeting through it online about how bad their offenses have been. We'll start with the Green Bay Packers because obviously, as a Packers fan, I was tweeting through it myself. I've been tweeting through it. It's been tough, and I've been tweeting through Notre Dame this year. It's, you got to do it. You got you to rationalize in some way, shape, or form. But I'm going to have to call out Peter Bukowski here, friend of the pod I've been on. He, he does Locked On Packers. Great dude. But he was tweeting through it yesterday. He first tweeted and, – and he first tweets out this. He says, two drops on that drive on balls behind wide receivers. Catchable, but not ideal. That's the problem with this offense right now. There's absolutely no margin for error. Everything has to be perfectly executed or it's not working. Which is true. Which is the problem with this Packers offense. They, they don't have guys who are getting open consistently. And when you don't have that, guys that you can rely on to get open... You want to either have to scheme them open, which then says, you know, has to be perfectly executed, or you have to have Aaron Rodgers put it on dimes consistently. And he, you know, of anyone in the NFL can do it. It's, you know, he's a guy that's right up there with the best of them in terms of being able to. But that's not a long-term viable plan for success and why you've seen them be so inconsistent this year. So I agree with that. But then he says, follows up with, not not more than an hour and a half later, says Big Bob, as in Bob Tanyan, has had a huge game. Alan Lazar ha has had a huge game. Randall Cobb has had a huge game. Romeo Dobbs has had a huge game. Aaron Jones has had a huge game. There is plenty of talent on this team to be so much better than they've been. He was so close. He was so close, Peter. It's why these guys, why they don't all have huge games at the same time is because, well, there's no one guy that's standing out head and shoulders above the rest because they're all kind of meh at the receiver position. And now to the Chicago Bears to check in on them 
and what they went through Thursday night. Because Adam Rank, who is, you know, he plays the heel a little bit about the Bears. He's like that noted, going to go out and be outspoken about him. He's a fantasy analyst for NFL Network. He tweets out, Justin Fields is my QB. After, you know, another iffy Justin Fields performance. And he's been banging the table. He, he got upset at me in my mock draft for having the Bears having a top five pick when it's based off of Super Bowl odds. I said, take it up with Vegas. You know, like the, mad at me for the giving the Bears top five pick. I based it off of bet MGM Super Bowl odds. So he was upset with that. He's, he's you know, defensive about the Bears. I get it. But over the course of the offseason, you can't tweet out, the Bears are doing a great job of building a complete team around Justin Fields. That will serve him better in the long run over spending on some mid-wide receivers. And he also tweeted out, have the Bears done enough to help Justin Fields? A thread. The next tweet says, yes, the end. You can't have it both ways. You can't say they've done enough to build around Justin Fields and then say, when Justin Fields plays like shit. That it's not, that it's not his fault. But it, it, I do agree to some, it, it is not his fault. It is not as much Aaron's fault. You have to have receiver talent to put a point in today's NFL. You just do. I've been saying it forever. It's damn, it's difficult to purely scheme open guys. It just is on a consistent basis. People have gotten too smart. Defensive coordinators have taken back in the balance of power. But it has been fun to watch. People tweet through it. It always is. But you still got to do it. You still got to tweet through it. And I still will be. All right, let's get to the mailbag. Where? We have some good ones this week. And we'll start with Stephen A. Wagner on Twitter. He says this. How many more seasons does Brady play if he and Giselle officially go through the divorce? What would the over-under on amount of seasons be? I think if that actually happens, I don't think Brady... Brady's not going to hang it up, right? I'd put the over-under around like two and a half. I don't think he's slipped from a physical perspective this year. Obviously, the results haven't been close to what we've seen in years past. Some of that's, you know, obviously he's had games without his receiving core this year. Still working through that. The offensive line's taking a massive step back. But I don't think he's playing poorly. You know, it's not like, doesn't look like what Big Ben looked like, you know, when, when before he hung it up. There's nothing saying that he can't still play the position at a high level. 77.7 passing grade. That's top 10 in the NFL this season. I, I don't think he's falling off from that perspective. So I put it at, I put, I'll say one and a half years would be the over-under. I think he's at least playing one more. And I would love for him to just turn into a football mercenary where after this he's just evaluating rosters and just says, you know, I'll come play for you. I don't even need money. You know, I'll, I'll take a vet min. I just want another ring. And he's just trying to stockpile, just goes to the best situation, one-year deal every year, find the best situation, who's going to let me run my offense, who's going to roll out the red carpet for me, and just try to get rings and just try to keep the legacy just untouchable. I would love to see that. So I'll put it one and a half. And I might even take the over at that. All right, Danny on Twitter said this, asked this, can you rank the worst units slash groups in the NFL at this point, regardless of expectation? 
Oh, I, I, and then he said, and the worst factor in cap hit and expectation. I did just the worst units in the NFL this season because that was more fun to me. I didn't actually even – I read through these quickly sometimes, missed that part. So I will gladly rank the worst units in the NFL. This brings me joy to do. Quarterback. It's been the Carolina Panthers, man. They've been – it's just been fucking horrible to watch. I, I, can't, I can't watch another Panthers game. I'm sorry I can't do it. They're not trying. They're not trying. Running back, this one pains me to say. Because I, Fat Lenny running is a joy to watch when he's humming. But he is not humming. Not even close. Bucks running backs have been rough. Only 12 explosive runs this season. That's third fewest in the NFL. League low in terms of yards after contact per attempt. 2.2 yards after contact per attempt. A couple fumbles. Dead last in terms of expect points add in the run game. Bucks RBs. Rashad White hasn't been great when he's been called upon either. Even though I like to come out. Still a rookie though. Receivers. This one, there is some a lot of contenders for this one. We obviously just talked about the Bucks. Or excuse me, the the Bears and the Packers. But I have to give it to the Tennessee Titans, man. I saw this stat today and I honestly couldn't believe it. The Tennessee Titans receiving core. Tight ends plus wide receivers have one single broken tackle after the catch. They have only 718 yards this season. That's second lowest behind only the Bears, who don't actually pass. The Titans have broken one tackle after the catch. That doesn't even seem possible. I feel like if you just nope. I was going to say I could break, break more than one tackle after the catch, but that's, that's, a dead, that's a dead ass lie. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have even gone there. All right. Offensive line this season, it's the Rams, man. The fall from grace, and it's obviously injury driven. They've had something like 15 different combinations up front or whatever it is, dozen at this point, but nothing's working. Most pressures allowed in the NFL 50.3 team pass blocking grade. Not too much better as run blocking, 58.6. It's, it's rough. It's rough. It's why they are where they are. Defense alliance, the Bears. This one's, this one's Bears are up there. Lions are up there. But defense line for the Bears right now. Second worst run defense grade and the worst pass rushing grade. That's bad. That is bad. Trade away with Clomac, that's kind of what you expect, right? Linebackers, this one's wild to see since they've probably invested more draft capital there than anyone's the Cardinals. 16 missed tackles, top five among all linebacking cores in the year, 515 yards allowed in coverage, fifth most, lowest grade among all linebacking cores. Isaiah Simmons, man. Can't even, sit, can't even see the field still for a full game. Oof. Secondary, the only team to get two on this list and they're, they're the division leaders. The Tennessee Titans, they're secondary this season. 124.5 pass rating allowed, worse than the NFL. Four incompletions, four forced incompletions, excuse me, dead last in the NFL. 11 touchdowns allowed, second most in the NFL. Caleb Farley's been rough. He, back surgery, ACL, robbed him of a lot of his movement skills that made him special at Virginia Tech. It's why injury red flags exist and why it's like, oh, why did that guy fall there in the draft? Injuries. No one wants to take 
the lemon. No one wants to take the guy who, fortunately, like Caleb Farley, just looks like he can't, looks like he never came back healthy. All right, next question here. John Binner on Twitter asked this. Way too early 2022 NFL redraft top 10. This is a man after my heart right here. I live for redrafts. One of my favorite exercises to do. And like I said earlier, Jaguars, number one overall pick. You get a redo at this point. There is no one else you're drafting over Sauce Gardner. I'm sorry. You're not drafting anyone else over Sauce Gardner at this point if you were to redraft. And I don't think it's truthfully not close. That's how good he has been so far this season. Allowing 22.5 yards per game. Allowing 13 of 30 targets this season for 135 yards with seven pass breakups. Leads the NFL with seven pass breakups. He has been as shut down a corner as you'll see in the league so far this season. Not just good for, you know, a rookie, good for any cornerback at any point in time. He's been awesome. Number two after that, I'm not sure there's a lot of guys who really I'm I think really raised their stock to a degree that I'm giving up on Aiden Hutchinson through five games and not drafting him number two overall. I think he's still number two overall pick. And same with Derek Stanley of the Texans, number three. Then at number four, since the Jags grab sauce, that's where I think Trayvon Walker would come off the board. Obviously shown some encouraging signs, but he has not graded out particularly well on the season, uh, especially as a pass rusher. Still you know, does not have a lot of moves. 50.0 pass rushing grade on the season, 62.8 overall. Um, you buy in the athlete, but I do think he's still a project very much so. At number five, Giants, uh, I think they'd grab Kayvon Thibodeau still at this spot. He's looked encouraging. Obviously, he had the big sack fumble this past week. Uh, not enough to, for me to drop him at all. Same with the Panthers and Nicky Aquanu. Here's where I might change, though, and obviously a lot of this is pre-draft as well, but Charles Cross versus Evan Neal at number seven for the Giants. I think they might lean Charles Cross here. Cross been much, much better in pass pro so far this season. 64.4 pass blocking grade. And a lot of that was still just because of week one. Uh, Beat down he took in Denver. He's been a lot better since then. So I think Charles Cross, you would take over Evan Neal in a redraft. Falcons still go Drake London. And then here's a guy I would also maybe go over Evan Neal. Since the Seahawks don't get Charles Cross, I think they might go Tyler Smith over Evan Neal at this point. Smith's graded out much better so far this season, playing left tackle for the Dallas Cowboys. And like physically coming out, they, they weren't too dissimilar from a tool's perspective. So for if he's already playing at a higher level, I think you might lean Tyler Smith. In that conversation, the Jets at 10, you probably still grab Garrett Wilson. Maybe you don't have a corner. Maybe you're going crazy and drafting Tariq Woolen at this point with how good he's looked. But I don't think I think they'd want the wide receiver. I think you'd still want Garrett Wilson. So that's where you go. Maybe draft the corner later since you got the Jermaine Johnson pick if you're redoing the entire draft and you already got Trayvon Walker. But that's how I probably redraft the top 10 at this point. Again, fluid. A lot of that's my pre-draft evals, but that's how I'd change things up. All right, this one comes from Tim Shwu on Twitter. He asked, where is Austin's Quinnen apology? I texted Austin, Gail, former podcast co-host this morning, and he said his exact words, I'm sorry. And he should be. Quinnen's been excellent, night and day from the guy we've seen at points throughout his career. And thank God, right? 
as a draft analyst, thank God, because he should have been a slam dunk. Like everyone, it was, it was Nick Bosa versus Quinn Williams. There were people saying Quinn over Bosa that year. That's how highly thought of he was as a prospect. Still the highest single season grade we've ever seen from a DT was him at Alabama back in 2018. He was utterly dominant, start to finish, nose tackle, three tech, whatever it was. So if he didn't turn out good, I would have had to rethink everything I knew about scouting. So thank God I don't. Quinn Williams has been great, though. And Austin says he's sorry about it. Last one here from Ellie T. Lou Miller. Asked this one a while ago, actually. And I wanted to go back to South Bend for Notre Dame game, which I did over the weekend like an idiot, and watch them get shellacked by Stanford before I answer this. But he said, food, drink, tailgate, fun shit recommendations for a weekend South Bend for the NDBC game. The wives of the all-male family members got us ND tickets. One, love it. Hopefully Notre Dame wins. That'd be brutal if they don't. I will say, food, it's South Bend, Indiana. You're not, you're not getting a culinary experience here, all right? But Rocco's Pizza is probably the gold standard of South Bend culinary excellence. Be prepared to wait. You'll probably wait like an hour um, if you go at dinner time. If you come in earlier in the week, though, definitely it's, it, it is kind of an experience there. Probably the only place I would really recommend after that, shit, go buy some food on campus, right? If, if you can't find a spot or don't know anyone tailgating in the South Lot, which is where all the shit's going down, I would just, and what I did this weekend, I brought a case of beer, walked around campus, stopped, sat on benches at times when I wanted to, get food. There's a bunch of vendors selling food around campus. That's what I would do. See the grotto, see the basilica. If you've never been, that's, it's just a cool campus experience during game day. And then obviously if you want to, you know, if you can talk a little, if you, if you can finesse it, try to get in good with someone's tailgate, you know, just say, you know, we're Irish fans, bring some beer over. They'll, they might let you. It's very friendly, not a very, uh, it's a very friendly atmosphere. If you're a golfer, I will say Warren golf course, tremendous for a school course. Um, outside of that, if you want to, if the tailgate scene's not for you, Brothers is probably like the best bar to be at pregame. It's right on Eddie Street, very close. There's not a lot of close bars, though. I, I will say, if you're not like in the tailgates at Notre Dame, it's kind of difficult. There's not a lot to do. It's, it's kind of a small town still. So that's my recommendations for a Notre Dame game. That's my recap of week six, I believe Quinn will be back Thursday. Actually, I'm not certain about that, but hopefully he is. We'll be previewing some week seven, getting in some more fun stuff on that one. So until then, thanks for tuning in. Talking ball.